0: Hello everyone. Uh welcome back uh to your two favorite co-hosts. I am Martina and this is Lissette. Lissette, I started I started to switch it up this time because your name does come first, but it's it's coming. It's coming one day. Um well yes, welcome back, viewers and listeners. Uh whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to the podcast, we are back today with our um, nonprofit series where we're talking to different leaders. And we're back with part two with Ellen. So if you all watched last week's video, which you should have, uh, if you have not, you should go back and do that or at least listen to it. Uh, we had a really good conversation because Ellen really did bring it. And so I know she's going to bring it for this episode too. So I'm very excited to get into it with her. And yeah, I'm going to kick it to Lissette. And then I would hope to get into, I want to talk a little bit about the board of directors and how that works in the, in the nonprofit sector. But yeah, uh, before we get into that, Lisette, anything you'd like to add?
1: Actually, I'm just excited to be back uh, <laughs> another week with Ellen and be able to just dig in and, and kind of have Uh, a deeper conversation uh I know I know board of directors is like a scary thing to like sometimes
0: talk about or think about because not a lot of us really know what board of directors do it is kind of like like. this 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 shroud of secrecy or like you just don't know it's like you don't know what's behind the curtain Hmm?
1: yeah Mm -hmm. and you know and how much power they hold or what really happens like I'll hear tidbits here and there and and then I think they operate differently Depending on nonprofits too, like they they operate and how much. So I'm very excited just to explore it from your perspective, Ellen, and how you kind of see have seen boards, you know, through your nonprofit career, and then just dig in and, and kind of see where the conversation goes. So I think we just jump in and let's just start talking about it.
2: Happy to, happy to just jump in and I'm glad to be back. What's Martina? Thanks for having me back for two. Um, yeah, so happy to jump into it. Boards, so we could do like hours and hours on boards. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to keep it tight, but it's hard because it's something I I do uh, love talking about with people because it's uh, like you said, like it's complicated. It's sometimes a little obfuscated. It's a little bit, it, it can be intimidating to talk about. Um, and you know, I think it's sometimes in the nonprofit sector we're a little scared to talk about the tensions that we may feel about boards because there's a really, um, there's a both and that we have to hold when we talk about boards. And oh, no. um, this is my own, you know, anti-racist practice, like trying to hold the both and and trying to hold the ambiguity of some of these things. But the strong both and that um, that I've learned about boards is that boards, can be an amazing asset to organizations. They can be a way to build power for your organization, to raise funds for your organization, to raise vis- visibility, and they can be a really powerful way to move resources, um, particularly to black and brown organizations, like serving Latin and serving organizations and communities, right? So they, they can be this really powerful tool um, for justice and equity in the work. And I hold that at the same time that I hold that they can also be an incredible tool to uh, perpetuate the status quo and to reinforce white institutional ways of working and white, particularly corporate institutional ways of working in nonprofits. Um, so for me, that's the both and that I struggle with every day is like, it's the both and of the ways that they can strengthen the work of our organizations and the way that they can restrain or hold back the work of our organization sometimes. Um, So that's the book. I'm gonna like preface it with that because I think it's an important thing to like not remember that boards aren't one thing and that there's not one truth around boards, right? There's multiple truths that we have to hold at the same time. Um, So boards in the nonprofit you know sector, I think I said last time and that um you know nonprofits are incorporated, right? Where incorporated for the most part, not exclusively, but for the most part are incorporated entities. Um, and that we have a tax deductive or a tax-free status that we get because we serve the public good. Mm-hmm. Um, and because our work supports the, the public, right? The ben- we, we provide a social benefit. Um, and because we provide a social benefit um, in return, we are not taxed and that is what it means to be a tax exempt organization. Your revenues are not taxed by the federal government. Um, In many cases, you apply for a state tax exemption because your organization fulfills um, a public charitable purpose. Um, And so boards are actually like, if you go back all the way to the tax code and and I've read some of these laws, I've read like IRS briefs to try to understand like the origination of the board. Boards are typically an accountability tool, right? They're a a way for us to hold institutions and organizations accountable for their behavior. Um, and And that's true in the corporate sector too, that like boards are an accountability or oversight tool. In our case, in the case of nonprofits, boards have been established to make sure that organizations operate within their charitable public benefit purpose, right? To make sure that they are responsible for making sure the nonprofit doesn't abuse its tax-exempt status, which is really important, right? Like, that, that's good. We want mm-hmm. we want to make sure that, like, organizations are doing what they said they were going to do and that they're using their funds in a way that supports the public benefit because that's why we're tax-exempt. So it's like one of the ways that the board is responsible for our, our organizations is that the people who sit on the board are ultimately responsible for making sure that we operate within our mission, right within our charitable purpose. Um, they're also there to make sure that no one individual benefits from what everyone is supposed to benefit from. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea that like no CEO or staff person or board member should get rich off of the work of the nonprofit, is part of the board's responsibility. Like they're supposed to make sure that the technical term for this is um, private enormous, Like that we're not supposed to p- privately benefit from the work of this organization that truly belongs to the common good. Right? This idea that we we belong to the public in some ways that we serve that public interest. Um, and the other thing that boards are supposed to do is to make sure that we follow all applicable laws and regulations. That we um, that we maintain fidelity to the laws of the states and the country that we operate in. Um so like all of these sound like great things, right? Like these are good things. Like you shouldn't, we don't want any of these not happen. Like we want organizations to be in their charitable purpose. We want them, we don't want anybody to like you know, commit fraud or be unethical with the money of the organization and p- privately benefit. And we want organizations to follow the law. We want them to pay their employees, right? Their overtime, make sure that they get the leaves that they're supposed to get. And so a board is ultimately responsible for making sure that the organization does those things. And so, you know, in the state of Illinois, the the Charitable um, Entities Act basically empowers the board to manage the affairs of the organization to fulfill those duties. Um, so in a nonprofit structure, the board is the where the book stops, right? They are responsible for holding the organization accountable and providing management and oversight to make sure that we are doing those things, right? That we are operating within our charitable purpose, that we are benefiting the public, not individuals, um, and ultimately that we're following all the applicable laws and regulations. And boards generally, um, def- like, in View some of that power in a staff person, right? Which is the executive director. Um, so they, you know, they're they're not actually working in the organization every day, right? They're not um, they're not there every day to make sure that everything that happens at the organization does those things. Um, so they provide oversight to an officer, usually a chief executive officer or uh, an executive director to manage the day-to-day affairs of the organization and report back to the board, right? To keep the board informed. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is where we get into that tricky concept of the board supervising the executive director. So like, that's a little, that's, that's a little, I would say my vantage point, and I'm speaking for Ellen, is that that's a little, that's a little off, right? It's not that the board supervises the executive director, it's that the board works through the executive director and the executive director keeps them informed on the matters of the organization so that they can do their duty. So think about it. I've had somebody describe it to me and I really appreciated this. It's like different houses of government, right? Uh That you have the president um, that, you know, matters, manages the affairs of states and then you have Congress that sets the law, right? Mm-hmm. The board is Congress. <laughs> it, it's like a lot of different stakeholders that sit at the table and set policy for the organization and, and provide oversight to the organization and could impeach, right, if something goes real wrong, mm-hmm. but they are not the people that are, are to manage the affairs of state. The person who, in the nonprofit structure, manages the affair of, affairs of state is the executive director or the CEO. Okay, they're there every day managing the affairs of state. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Yes. That's a good analogy.
2: Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's more that you are a check and balance on one each one another, right? Um, and that you each have an expertise, and that expertise is different, like structurally, right? And your rules are different, right? Um, as an executive director, a CEO, your role is to provide day-to-day leadership to the affairs of state for that nonprofit. And as a board, you are required, like your role is to legislate, right? To set the, the expectations for how the organization will operate with those three goals that I talked about earlier. Um, and so that means that the board is a very important accountability tool for the organization. And the CEO or executive director is an incredibly important key informant for the board, right? Where the day-to-day expertise lies. But again, we've gotten like we have some, some interesting conceptions on how both of those things play out. And yeah. um, so you <laughs> that's like that can be what the structure is intended to be, right? Right. But mm-hmm. then there's like how the practice happens. I mean, I think this is where we get into the nuance around, um, around what we expect of boards and what we expect of organizational leaders, like EDS and CEOs. And so it can be like challenging to acknowledge that structure structured practice, right? So executive directors expect their boards, um, not just to like set policy and to be a checks and balance on those three things, right? The, that you are operating within your charitable purpose, uh, preventing private inurement, and following all the laws, right? We, as executive directors and CEOs, often expect our boards to also be ambassadors, askers, advocates for our mission and work. So, we now, there's a very prevalent sort of narrative or a connotation that boards are pri- the primary fundraising engine for nonprofits. Because if you're going to be responsible for the organization, the biggest thing that organizations actually need are resources. Because of what we talked about last time, that most organizations are raising their budgets every year from scratch. So your board becomes this very important group of key stakeholders and investors. And so in order to truly be vested in the the care of the organization and the management of of the organization, a lot of boards fundraise, right? That's part of how they demonstrate their duty of care, that they are demonstrating they care about the organization. Um, But that lends itself to a certain kind of board, right? Because if what you believe that your board's best contribution of care is to the organization is fundraising, who do you go out and find? You want high net worth individuals. You want people with access to capital. You want corporate folks, right? Yeah. Um, people, ba- basically, people with access to wealth yep. or to assets, right? And so that has, in many ways, skewed nonprofit boards towards boards that are primarily comprised of wealthy white men, right, from the
1: corporate
2: sector, yeah, right, who are, you know, who may be able to raise funds for the organization and demonstrate the care in that way, but there's other ways that they're not going to be able to provide accountability and oversight. For instance, they're unlikely to have ever been recipients of our services. Right. Mm-hmm. So how can they actually tell us if we're operating in our missional purpose?
0: Well, that's my thing, how is this benefiting them? Is it just to say, I'm doing something good?
2: And well, you know, so their board members are volunteers. Uh, so why do, why does any volunteer do anything? To make it right? feel so good. Like, <laughs> I mean, i <like> say that. <laughs> values, to be proximate to work they care about, to, yeah, to feel good sometimes, yes. right? To, to meet a self-interest that can be about the ways that they're contributing, to set a good example for their children. I mean, they serve for any of the reasons that anyone serves. And those mm-hmm. reasons are myriad, right? Maybe for some of them, it's because yes, they've, they are now in a position of privilege, but maybe they didn't have that pr- position of privilege. And they think that like, their perspective is that it's their obligation to give back. And this is one of the ways that they give back, right? Like there's a thousand reasons that people wanna serve on boards. I think for some boards, there is also political clout that comes with serving on a board. I mean, that's not every board for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. But there are some boards that, you know, serving on that board connects you to other people. Right. We've heard a lot that like building a network via a board, right. Of between other board members. Mm -hmm. So there could be a lot of reasons that people want to serve on a board, but like often it's because there is some, there is a self-interest right in that they bring to the table, and I, those self interests are as varied as the nonprofits they serve. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think the challenge again is that it precludes, it disadvantages us building boards that are actually representative of this, the full stakeholders that we serve. Right? Because if our board is the primary fundraising engine, then we're not, and and what we're valuing our financial contribution, then we may be disinclined to value contributions of time, or we might be disinclined to value contributions of expertise, lived experience, for instance. Like there's there's all sorts of things that we can fail to value appropriately when we value the fundraising capacity of a board member above all else, right? And this is where like that equity conversation then about the diversity of our boards becomes really challenging, right? Because you hear nonprofits say a lot, well, I'm having trouble diversifying my board. Well, that's because they've decided that every board member has to raise a certain amount of money and they're looking for a very specific kind of fundraiser or connector, right? Sometimes it's not even money, sometimes it's connections, sometimes it's social capital. But what we're asking for is they're saying like, well, there's not enough diversity among corporate high net worth individuals for us Mm. to diversify our boards. it's like, well, yes, that's because we've created a very narrow definition. That's the only place you're looking. (laughs) That's the only place you're looking, yeah. Um, And so, you know, again, there there are ways that that framework and that expectation of organizations on board disadvantages boards, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's also, you know, the converse that boards have very, sometimes very unrealistic expectations about their role in relationship to the CEO or executive director, right? Even that idea that they supervise that person is like a, it's like, a, I don't, <laughs> perversion is the only word that I can come up with, but that's not what I actually mean. Like, I mean, it's just like, it's a slight skew. That's the word I'm looking for. It's a skew on what's actually true. Like, yes, you provide oversight and accountability, and this is your key informant and the person that you primarily work through to do your duty. But like this, the idea that the board would have enough expertise to actually do things like set strategy or supervise the CEO or ED actually suggests a level of knowledge or involvement that they generally do not have. And that's not a personal failure, right? I'm, I'm not saying that as a critique. I'm just saying that like as an organizational leader, You live and breathe that work, 10, 12, on a bad day, 14 hours a day, and somebody who comes to a meeting Mm -hmm. once a month, six times a year, once a quarter, Mm -hmm. is never going to have the experience and the expertise and the insight that you have as the person doing the work. So again, from an equity perspective, boards need to center the lived experience of their CEOs. Yeah. And the challenge is that there's often, like the board wants to, the board members themselves, like have a desire to contribute at a deeper level, right? Because they have a self-interest in being there. And the challenge is balancing the the intention they have with the limit of what they can do when they only touch the work once a month, right. six times a year or quarterly, yeah. right? It's so there's true. like a hard limit.
1: Oh no, sorry, Ellen, go ahead.
2: Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say, there's just a limit. And it's, again, it's not a, a failure on any board member's part. It's just, it's a structural limitation yeah. on what they can contribute because you're not in it every day. It's not your expertise. I'm right. like, you know, some of us went to grad school for this and like, I've done it for 20 years. Like, it's not your fault that I know more. Like, yeah. it's my job. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's
1: still it's so true, Ellen, because I've seen and I've heard board members say things like well how can we get more involved how can we do this and and like they want to give more but to your point there's limitations because you're maybe involved once a quarter a few times a year and what I see as a you know director or coordinator however on the ground it's every day you know to your point sometimes it's, if I'm lucky, eight hours a day, if not, it might be more, or a week might just extend, Um, and there is that balance, but also, when you talked about even the wanting to bring on diverse people, and diverse has a broad definition, you know, it's not always just skin color, there's, you know, diversity of thought, you know, gender, and all these things, Um, and you're trying to, but if you're has always been we want people that have the right connections and the people that can you know either connect us to the right people to bring in more dollars and all these things like you said there's a narrow definition and it's like well no because there's there's different expertises there's different things that people can bring to the table but how do you do that and like the board that, that I know it's like is trying to sort of diversify and bring individuals and not have a dollar amount for people to raise and all these things. But even then, it's still a struggle because sometimes people who are diverse of thought or things or, or have like a very social justice lens or have a very social conscience lens, they're the ones that what we want to do more we want to do this and there isn't an avenue for them to do it because the board is designed to do a certain thing it's not designed to be you know on the
2: ground that's right well and that's where it's actually no one's fault like i will i mean that's where i think i want to just always like i have a critique right but i also want to be generous in that critique that like it's not any it's no one's fault that we're all trying to figure this out like the system is actually like structured for boards to do very specific things. Set policy, right, approve Mm -hmm. the budget. That's how they approve a set of planned expenditures. Um, Provide fiscal oversight. So looking, doing, conducting an audit, reviewing an audit, conducting the 990, like making sure the 990 gets done, reviewing that, filing that. Like all of those things that a board is required to do are not, that's not contributing in the way that people expect, right? And also none of that is related directly to fundraising. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so in both of the cases, like what organizations want their boards to do in fundraising and building connections, bringing expertise and what board members wanna do, which is to strengthen the work of the organization, right? Like I've actually never met a board member, even the ones that like occasionally have driven me nuts who actually didn't genuinely want to strengthen the organization. Mm -hmm. Like they're there because they want to strengthen the organization. But there's often a mismatch between what it means to be on a board and what people want to do and what we want them to do and that mismatch is structural in nature and this is why like I spent a lot of time with people talking about the structure of a board because I think it's important for us to acknowledge that this it's like trying to um it's trying to use a, a sieve as a as like a water bottle right like it's It's structured to do one thing. Like a sieve is like intended to strain water out. A water bottle is intended to keep water in. Like if you try to use a sieve to to hold water, it will never work. Mm -hmm. And that's not because there's anything wrong with the sieve. It's just not meant to do that work. And so you can't be mad at it that it doesn't hold the water in. It's got a thousand holes, right? And that's not even a defect. So I think it's, it's like, when we think about boards and I'm struggling this with this for myself, right. Is, are my expectations aligned to what it is intended to do? Mm -hmm. And similarly, when someone joins a board, is their expectation of their role aligned to the work they want to do? Right. And I think we all like, you know, there's a, there's a movement and I, I haven't dug real deep into it, but I'm, familiar with this idea of there are folks in this in this country trying in the nonprofit sector trying to reimagine what governance structures look like and they've proposed the idea of the minimum viable board excuse me it's like what is the board that your organization needs to be legally compliant right um. uh, in the state of illinois you have to have three board members Uh, in order to be an entity, like when you file. And lots of lawyers will tell you it's like best to have five, but like according to the statute, you have to have three. You can't become an entity in the state of Illinois, like a nonprofit entity without three board members. Um, So there are organizations that are asking like, what if we just had three? Mm. What would happen? And what if we tried to create this other group like this other way, this other board or way of being that wasn't the governance board, but was the was the like at, for lack of a better word, like activist board, right? The board that is intended to like help us to advance our mission, raise money, inform our yeah. work. Um, and it could be it's a different group, right? It could be a more flexible group because yeah. it's not tasked with the work of governance. So it can do the things we need it to do because we can set it up to do those things. Yeah. And what if we just had a board that was minimally viable? And it's an interesting it's an interesting question, right? Like, what other structures would be possible if we didn't depend on this one structure to be everything for all of us? And I think it's an important question for us to ask because the, the thing I said earlier about boards sometimes like being an obstruction to change or progress or sort of like holding up white ways of doing things is that the challenge is that if a board is fundamentally um, tasked with accountability and oversight of the organization with, with, you know, 12 people, 15, 20, 25, some boards are 50 person boards, right? Like they're, they can get huge. Yeah. You end up with a lot of risk aversion Mm -hmm. in work that implicitly takes risk to make gains. Like. Our job, again, we talked about this through nonprofits, like we have a change proposition, right? Like something that we are supposed to be working towards that we hope, right, for most nonprofits fundamentally changes our experience of the world or fundamentally changes the systems and structures or fundamentally makes our lived experience better. And that work takes risks. But often boards are, can get risk averse, right? Can get conservative in their approach because their job is to safeguard the organization and its assets and, and, you know, and its dollars and make sure that that organization is sustainable. And so, you know, without being close enough to work to understand the cost benefit analysis, boards can default to risk aversion at the expense of bold change work that could fundamentally change our country. And that's, that's the downside, right? That's the scary side, is when boards become an obstruction to the mission because they're afraid of taking the risks needed to achieve it.
0: Well, to me, that's just interesting. So they would be the be all end all in like what's gonna happen with this organization.
2: Yeah, I mean, when you think about how the power that the board has, the board, ha- again, it, it has the power to manage the affairs of the organization. Mm-hmm. So my, you know, when I engage a board, it's to pass a budget, right? I could say, this is how I want to use the money. Mm-hmm. And the board could say, no, <laughs> like, that's not how we think you should use it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. or I could say, I think that this is the way, you know, I can make a recommendation, right? Like, I think this is the way that we should strategically move based on all the evidence. Mm -hmm. And the board could say we disagree. And that is their, like, fundamentally, it is within their purview. And I think, again, it's sort of how we interpret the idea of management that, you know, they could override a veto, right, or create a new piece of legislation that changes, I mean, like, that's, again, think about Congress, right, the president can sign an executive order, and do some stuff, but there's limits on what the president can do in executive order, some things require legislation, they're supposed to be that, yeah, (laughs) but, you know, so it's there, again, there are different powers, right, but it's, it's a dance, and that's the thing, that's again, it's like, it's important to remember the both and, it's important to the remember the ambiguity. It's also important to remember, there is no one board, right? Lots of different boards, lots of different ways of organizing a board, lots of different, some organizations have very specific requirements based on their funding, about how their board has to be comprised and the legal responsibilities of their board. They're not a monolith, right? But these are the implicit on like the threads underneath some of the tensions that you hear in our sector around board leadership mm-hmm. are around the structure, are around the power they have, right? Are around their composition. And all of those things go back to ultimately what is the goal of the board? What do they What do they exist to do? And, you know, again, if you look back at the legislation, most of the legislation that's been passed, you know, in, in the last half century uh, about our, you know, about the nonprofit sector has been curtailing the nonprofit sector um, ability to to sort of like um, to get income, like sell sell things for income, right? So, you know, nonprofits generally have to primarily receive contributions. If we start to generate our own income, we start to get questions about whether or not we're a charitable entity, right? So um, so there's a lot of laws around how nonprofits get revenue, right? Contributions versus income. And there's also a lot of laws about our participation in the political process. So a yeah. lot of laws around lobbying, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, talking to your legislators or advocating for policy. And, you know, in part one, we talked about how powerful our sector could be. 12.5 million workers, third largest sector. But there are a lot of laws in place to make sure that nonprofits cannot sort of influence political mm-hmm. systems and, and the outcomes of elections. And so there are a lot of strictures placed on nonprofits about how we engage in power building and political processes. And again, when you look at the architecture of that, it's, it is because I think in some ways there is an understanding that our sector could be a radical force for
0: change. Right, like we need to be yep. making political
2: decisions. Yeah, we could be a radical force for change. And the, the two, the primary way that without having a lot of folks that actually like could investigate and go after nonprofits for that kind of power building or like, you know, again, radical, like social action is that you make sure that every board is afraid of their nonprofit doing, it. yeah, it's and so that's where non, that's where boards can be like a way to maintain the status quo. Because if your board says to you, "We don't really, we don't want to get into that," right? That feels too political, or that feels like it walks the line, mm-hmm. then it keeps organizations from engaging in advocacy, mm-hmm. engaging in policy building, engaging in organizing, all of which are legally allowable. But there is so much fear around nonprofits losing their tax-exempt status, which again, would be the fault of the board, that the board does not want organizations to tread into that space. Mm. Do you see how this is like, this is, this is- is
0: like like my My brain (laughs) is going like 100
1: miles per minute, like right now, (laughs) because I have so many different thoughts and I'm trying to like, Bring them in <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> focus because i think when i think about like okay we talked about you know the first part about the power that that you know nonprofit can have but the limitations that it has to root re- the radical change comes from changing policies laws and all the things mm-hmm. and advocating and, and going mm-hmm. to your local government and your sort of alderman here in chicago and like your mayor's yeah. all these things, but there is a limit. Like I'm reminded every year when <laughs> when it's, you know, uh election season. And it's like, here's the list of things you can't say, here's this list, list of things you can't do, and like you if you get contacted, here's you have to send it to because there is this yeah. huge fear of losing your nonprofit status. But then it makes me think about churches, and I that's a whole other conversation to be had. Oh, that
2: is the whole conversation to be had.
1: Yeah. And I, I know, Ellie, you could get into it mm-hmm. so, too. Best I, friend, like, I could. <laughs> and it makes, so it's, it's just this idea where I'm like, is it just time to have a conversation around what does nonprofit have to do to change some of these policies that have been enacted that have been on us for a very long time and that has not, progressed in the same way society has progressed and what the needs uh, of society are now versus what they were when you know nonprofits mm-hmm. nonprofits first started yeah. and they sort of came to be and the, the role that nonprofits now play right mm-hmm. and the role that uh boards need to play within nonprofits and how that's changed and the expertise that you know executive directors have and CEOs have when it comes to nonprofits. You said like It's nobody's fault that you went to school for this and you kind of have the knowledge, you know, and you have these things. So I think, yeah, like that's what I was thinking. Like, I feel like the conversation has to now include like, what how do we now change these policies, these laws, these things that have been governing nonprofits to bring them into the modern era that is our society?
2: And there are so there are some organizations that are really starting to do that. And I will say, You know, independent sector is the organization that is sort of like the affiliate body for nonprofits and philanthropy in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, They're a national organization, and they have they have been in the last, you know, like I've I've only been aware of them for the last like four years or so. But I will say that they are trying to organize the fields to be involved in the ways we can. Right. So again, there are limits. Right. We cannot legally. Nonprofits cannot be engaged in electione- electioneering activity, right? Like we cannot, we cannot um, get behind a candidate. That's what electioneering is, right? Um, and there is there is a law in place that says that is prohibited, right? Like fundamentally prohibited. Um, but there isn't a law that says that we can't take positions mm-hmm. on social issues and articulate those positions as as an organizational platform, right? Um, and, and that we can't, there's nothing to suggest that we can't articulate those positions to elected officials. Right? We can't. That is allowable. That's advocacy and nonprofits are allowed to be advocates. Once we start talking about specific bills, for instance, in the Illinois State Legislature, then we move from advocacy to lobbying, And that's where, again, you can lobby as a nonprofit, but there's a limit on how much you can do it. Right? Um, And and so there are lots of organizations that have, like, larger organizations that have lobbyists, like, Mm -hmm. nonprofits that have lobbyists, because they are able to uh, expend a certain percentage of their resources on that activity. So, again, the only, like, what's truly prohibited is electioneering. And so the independent sector has done a whole, like, um, nonpartisan, it's called the nonprofit, I think it's called the Nonprofit Voter um, Engagement Plan, or or cohort, it's like a group of organizations that have signed on to, to a group of nonprofits to try to improve um, participation in elections, right, to get people to vote, to turn people out to vote. Again, not taking a position on a particular candidate, but encouraging people to engage the electoral process. It's, it's a voter engagement project, right? And nonprofits have the ability to to do that work. Um, it's it's allowable. It's often within, to your point, it's within our missions because people being an engaged electorate on issues that we care about is is can move our mission forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you have to, your board, you have to bring your board along, And that, I guess that's what I would say is like, if you want your board to support these ways, again, that a board can be really helpful, right? So I say that with a board that in many ways is very helpful, to move resources and shift power and to think about how we lift up the work of black and brown organizations and their leaders, you have, to, you have to bring boards along. You have to cultivate them like any volunteer, like any donor, because the idea that they come fully prepared to live into all of that with the expertise is probably not reasonable. Even if your board is diverse, even if your board includes diversity on a lot of different axes. You still need to cultivate your board to help them understand why being involved in a nonprofit, nonpartisan voter engagement pro- project advances your mission. Because for a lot of people, that just feels like getting political. And they they don't, and Americans in general don't want to get political.
0: They really don't.
2: And the problem is that our work is inherently political.
0: Yes. Like
2: in, in the organizations that I've I've worked in, my mission is inherently political. In my last organization, it was about wealth building in black and brown communities. That shit's political. Like there's no way around it. It's not partisan. It's not like, again, I don't need to electioneer, but it is a political issue. And I think a lot of nonprofit staff are very comfortable with the idea that our work is political, that it puts a line in the sand, but a lot of boards, again, they don't have the lived experience that we have, don't understand why the work is political. And we have to bring them along and help them understand that no matter what we're doing in the social impact sector, if we seek to make a social impact, that work is political. It doesn't have to be divisive. It doesn't have to be othering. It doesn't have to be even like agitational all the time. I mean, I'm I'm agitational a lot of the time, but like it doesn't have to be (laughs) agitational all the time, but it does, we do have to acknowledge that it takes staking a claim that the world is not as it should be, and we think it should be a different way. And anytime you say the world is not as it should be, and it should be a different way, you are making a political statement. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I think that's the essence of all nonprofits. I mean, that's why you have nonprofits that get created because they see a problem, they want to sort of bridge that gap and say, this is an issue. We need to raise the profile of it, we need to make a change of it. to your point, like, that is political. Yeah, I
2: mean, it's basically saying our priorities are wrong. Like, (laughs) anytime you get in a space and you're like, we've been doing it wrong, we need to do it this way, like, that, it is an agitational statement, right? You're saying that something needs to change, and, and again, change does not come by preserving the status quo. And we talked about this a little bit last time that like, you can't w- want both of these things at the same time, but um, we're miraculous in America about trying to hold these two things at the same time. Like you cannot say, I want change and I want everything to stay the same. No, that's
1: not gonna happen. It doesn't even make sense. Like, It doesn't make sense,
2: but we're like, we're really good at it. Like we, yeah. we really try to make it make sense. And so that's the challenge, right, of, of our work in nonprofits in general. And frankly, I'd say it's the challenge of boards, right? Like that truly something does have to be deconstructed and rebuilt, but the deconstruction is not the work that most people signed up for. Like that's not what they thought they were getting into when they joined a board. And that's where, again, like we we have an obligation as people in the sector to bring folks along with us. At least that's how I feel. And I know there are a lot of folks that don't wanna spend time or emotional labor bringing, you know, moderate folks along or bring privileged white folks along. But like, I'm a privileged white folk, so I'll bring my people along. But like, that is the work that we have to do in order, if we want to build critical mass and consensus around the change, right? And so I just don't know, I don't think, I don't have Thanos power to snap my finger and just make shit different. I have to actually like, I have to work the problem and often, your board, in all of the, in all of its limitations, all of the ways that it can, like, you know, hold the status quo, all the ways that a board can can reinforce white institutional values, they are also your best chance at spreading your message, getting the word out, building support and critical mass for your work. And so that is part of why we all sit in this as you know, as, as leaders of organizations, we often sit in this in-between space holding the ambiguity that both of those things can be true at the same time.
0: Well, something needs to change. Something has to change. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's
2: just like we got to put in the work to help shift people's understanding mm-hmm. of how to be a good board member, right? Like how to be a board member that holds their duty and fulfills their responsibilities while also centering. The, the expertise of the staff centering equity and anti-racism in the work, deconstructing their ol- own bad habits, yep. and putting new ones in place. Right, like again, that's all the work that has to be done on the inside for that work to show up in new ways on the outside.
0: They got to be willing to get in the ring. They got to come in the ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's in say a
2: different people. way.
0: Yeah, in a different way. But they got to come in into the yeah,
1: yeah. You need people willing to really look inside and say here's how I can change here's what I can contribute here's how yeah. I can push change how I can influence change among board members and others around me because sometimes you know I could say you got to change all day long <laughs> or we got to do yeah. this differently but the minute a white man says it to another white man <laughs> you know
0: yeah
2: it's <laughs> totally different it's Right. that's right it's so different yeah different. what i would say is i think that the the interesting thing that you just said Lisette, that i think is such an important part of this reframe is and you know i believe this strongly about service that the power of service is how it changes us and i do think that most people get on a board thinking how am i going to contribute to changing the organization or changing the trajectory of the organization And, you know, again, because board members are volunteers and this is an act of service, I think the most important question is how by joining this organization will I be changed? And Mm -hmm. ultimately, that's a different question. You know, like I've started to ask that, like of prospective board members, like how do you want this experience to shape, right? How do you want it to change you? How do you want it to enrich you? Because that automatically shifts the dynamic. Because often they're coming in and giving me the list of like, here's all my skills. Here's all the things I can bring. Here are all the people I can talk to. Here's my expertise. And it's like, yeah, once a year, I may need those things. Yes. Most of the time, what I'm going to need is for you to internalize our mission, to do the internal work of of changing your perception of how the world needs to, to be or change to achieve our mission. And then I need you to go out and tell everybody about it. Like, you know, that's that, what I actually I need you to do. And so I think it's, you know, again, it's this idea of, it's a traditional idea of service, that we often think of service as what we give others. Yeah. And we need to reframe that service is actually the act of, of investing in our own change, right? Changing our mind, mm-hmm. changing our perception. And we do that by being in relationship with people who are different from us or yeah. have had different experiences than us. Uh,
1: I love that. I love the... Sort of the the concept of, you know, you're interviewing this board member and now. You're asking them, how do you want this experience to shape you, to change you, or, you know, and things like that. And because that, I think that gives you, and gives everyone a perspective of like, what are they willing to really go in the process in our communities and really hear what the community has to say. Right? Yep. because a lot of the times we want to go into community. And say this is how you solve it. Here's how you do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like no community. Community has solutions too. Yep. Like you know, we can That's all right. share ideas. We can you know learn from one another. Um, and I think boards that operate a certain way can also learn from whether it's the staff, whether it's also uh, you know just our community members. It's just That's you know. Right. I'm a community member. People should yep. listen to me sometimes because I'm like, you are <laughs> I was like, no, that's not how it works in my community. <laughs>
2: that's exactly right. That's you know? exactly right.
1: Uh, and I think people forget that the staff that they have are also community members who live in the communities that the organization is serving um, and does not give them a platform to either talk to the board, to talk to other volunteers. Yeah. And the board
0: are... members might be community from that yeah. from community. So yeah, this is everybody. I feel like culture. we can keep talking and I know <laughs> we can keep talking even though I, I know we had time and I, Ellen I feel you know when you said you could spend hours talking about boards we literally almost spent the hour and so I was like you're so right I do know why I was just like nah but we did we spent like an hour talking about boards.
1: <laughs> oh wait I couldn't hear you. but we know? Will we know? Oh well, you cut off a little yeah, you bit. you cut of off a
2: little bit. bit. I'm sorry I was saying you said that we talk about boards and then we talk about something else and I was like
0: <laughs> you right. know, you no, know, no. you like, I've, I've been you. here, i okay, <laughs> you, I've been here before. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, it is, it's such a, and this is like, this is what we said last week, right? There is no monolith. Like, this you field know. is as diverse as the people in it, boards are as diverse as the people in it. Like, it isn't a monolith, but they're, I think, you know, historicizing, right? Going back and understanding, is it a sieve? Uh, is it a sieve or is it a, a water bottle? Right, like yeah. really trying to understand the structure of things helps us to navigate them. Frankly, I think with a greater awareness and with a greater level of grace. And and ultimately, as I am, I am as somebody who has like really struggled with these power dynamics between yeah. boards and staff a lot. I will say that like the thing, the truth that I have had to internalize is that is that we are all entitled to grace, and in many cases, folks are acting out of what they know, yes. right? Or what they understand. And that if we want them to act or, or do differently, we have, to, we have to cultivate people. We have to build a new understanding. Um, and that level of grace is frankly the grace I feel like we need to give each other period yeah. in the sector, outside of the sector, because this is really hard work. And frankly, these mm-hmm. folks are taking on a huge liability. They become responsible for this organization. That's a huge personal responsibility. And I think we should take seriously that somebody raised their hand for that and then extend a lot of grace in helping to shape people's understanding of their responsibility to, to be more impactful and more meaningful for them and for us. Mm -hmm. But we have to, we have to step back from, from our assumptions.
1: Um, I think we're going to start kind of getting to close, uh, Mm -hmm. close up the conversation, but uh one thing I just wanted to to share again is thank you Ellen for being open and honest and just kind of sharing uh in this space with us uh but one of the things that I definitely uh took away from what you said and it was within the last couple minutes was around you know giving each other grace in and sort of really in this in this space that is you know it could be icky it could be sort of like well, you know what? I don't want to listen to white people. Like, y'all create this problem. <laughs> y'all go ahead and fix it. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to, uh, you know, or like Google is free. Go figure it out. Go learn it on your own. But, you know, something you said about like, sometimes we do need to give people grace and the opportunity, uh, you know, to learn and grow in that and, and what my role is in sort of mm-hmm. in that process too. And, and how can I uh, also look into myself and say like, how can I also contribute to, they're growing because otherwise we're always just going to be divided and, and you know and, and that and it translates whether it's board whether it's the organization as a staff person or just as an individual volunteer so that was just one of the, the final thoughts I wanted to kind of share and sort of say you know something I'm going to take from this conversation of like what can I do to take back to the spaces I'm in and how can I mm-hmm. you know support and show grace to those that really want to make change but I'll kind of throw it to Martina to see if she has any final thoughts around today's conversation just in general like we had two well
0: my partic- first thought is we gotta get you back on here. I um, don't yes. we gotta find something else uh you know I can you know you come back talk about nonprofits we can talk about something else too I really don't care I just want to hear yes. more from you honestly um, and thank you for doing this work as well because like we're, you know, and Lissette, you know, you're I, I know you're in it too. I was in it. I went to the for-profit side for now, but <laughs> I will say this work is really hard. And you know, I can't sometimes be that person, you know what, white people create this problem, y'all gotta fix it. But I do remember that these problems did not happen overnight. So it's not gonna be overnight to get them fixed, or to get these structural issues corrected. You know, it's going to take a long time, and it's going to take, it is going to take all of us, because all of us Mm -hmm. have to play our part in this. And, you know, Ellen, just hearing you really kind of go through the breakdown of the boards, and what that, you know, and what that means for nonprofits, and given, like, that really good analogy between the President and Congress, uh, I really hope our listeners got a lot a lot out of it I know I did I mean between this video and last video I've learned so much and I was telling Lissette last time I was like I don't know if Ellen has written a book I feel bad that I said that but she need to go write one because I'll be probably first in line to buy it because you're just so knowledgeable and again I've learned so much thank you for coming on and I can't wait to have you back
2: of course I will happily come back and Vule is somebody who has written a lot about boards, nonprofit AF. So if you wanna uh, okay. dig in a little bit more, Vule is an amazing resource, also a nonprofit leader. Um, but yeah, I would be happy, uh, happy to come back. It's been such a joy to talk with both of you. And I'm so grateful for the invitation.
1: Well, it's an open invitation, Ellen. Yes, if, if you ever have a thought of like, man, I need a space to talk about this. We're right here. Yeah, people.
2: We, 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 i will take you up on it yes
1: all right, well, <laughs> all right. again thank you ellen thank you our, our viewers and our listeners for tuning in uh to part two of our conversation uh with ellen and non- and her as a non leader and what she kind of has seen um and as you've heard we're definitely going to have her back in the future for other topics i'm curious to hear your thoughts on church and sort of what we kind
2: of oh girl thought. we can um- we could have a whole nother conversation about you. They're like, oh, come on.
1: We have, you know, that is a series that Ritana and I were, were working on. So we're definitely going to bring you back uh, into that one. But um, <laughs> again, make sure you uh, are following us, uh, have liked uh, us on YouTube. So you can get notified uh, when videos and episodes are up. So make sure you do that. Um, and yeah, and we look forward to talking and seeing
2: you next time. Yep. See you next time. Bye, everyone.